As we continue in our series, Fulfilled, God's promise kept and our longing met in Jesus. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 uh, this morning. Um, but I'm going to ask you a question as we open up God's Word together today. As we enter into the holiday season, Christmas season, as you think about gifts, as we often do, maybe you're already doing your gift planning, you've already been shopping, or if you're like me, wait till the last minute and you love long lines. You got to love that. And, and, and as you're thinking about uh, around this season, as we oftentimes give gifts and we receive gifts, when you think about it at the end of the day, what is the greatest gift you've ever received? Now, don't give me the spiritual answer, Jesus. Like, it's not what I'm getting at. That's not the point at the end of the illustration or the... The question, I'm just asking like in, in the most carnal way I can, what is the greatest gift you've ever received? What was it like? Why was it important to you? Why was it significant in any way? For kids, was it an Xbox? Maybe it was a vacation. For all you young boys or older boys, maybe it was a Red Rider BB gun like the Christmas story. I don't know, when I think back about my greatest Christmas gifts I received, what made them great was not necessarily what they were, how much they cost. At the end of the day, they were great for me. They were significant for me because of who they were connected to or who they came from. When I think about it at the end of the day, some of the greatest gifts I've ever received were little, seemingly insignificant things, but they were amazing because they came from my little girls. They were drawn pictures with little notes that they gave me or they thought through it in a significant way. They were great, and I'll really never forget them. And what made them great, again, it wasn't because they were expensive or they were extravagant or they were anything else. It was because of the relationship I had with the individual and who I received them from. What made them great was the person, not the, the possession of what I was receiving. It was because of who it was connected to at the end of the day. Because I've learned this over a long period of time, relationship changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, I could get a note from you drawn by a crayon on a little piece of stock paper that says, Jim, I love you, spelled wrong. And I'll be like, well, that was kind of weird. But if I get that same thing from my little girl, it will bring tears to my eyes. Because of who it's connected to, and when I'm connected to them, it changes everything because relationship does that. For us, And as we look at our, our, our time together today in God's word, we see very significance found in relationship where seemingly insignificant people or places at the end of the day become great. Not because of who they are or what they've done at the end of the day. It all comes down because of their relationship with Jesus. Their relationship with Jesus. And last week we started this series right? At the end of the day, fulfilled, where we're looking at Old Testament prophecy and seeing how it is fulfilled in Jesus, right? At the end of the day, but it also fulfills a longing on our own heart and soul. What we desire, what we're longing for, what we hope for at the end of the day. And today in Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 through 11 is no different as we look at some places and people some guys by the name that, that are called wise men at the end of the day. And see, this is what I want you to see in all of it. In, in Jesus, the least can become the greatest. In Jesus, no matter who you are today, no matter who's watching online with us today, no matter who we are at the end of the day, greatness in the kingdom of God does not come from what I am or what I've done or who I am. At the end of the day, what I want you to see, greatness comes because of our relationship with Jesus, and in Jesus, the least can become 
the greatest. It's the good news of the gospel. And so I just want us to see a couple of truths from our text that talk about greatness within the kingdom of God. And the first one is quite rudimentary, but read with me in verses 1 through 6, and then we'll chat about it. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1 says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So the first thing I want you to see at the end of the day is greatness isn't based on a reputation. And what I mean by that is you'll see in the text that the people and the place, at the end of the day, their reputation wasn't that great. The context of our text here, just baseline real quick, is that Jesus was born now in Bethlehem, and some wise men from the east, we'll come back to these guys in a little while, came to Jerusalem in search of the, the Messiah that's come to worship him, the king that's come to worship him. And this is where we pick up our text. Now, Herod, uh, the king of the day, the king of the time, hears about this, and he's troubled. Now, why in the world would Herod be troubled? Herod's troubled because he's the king. And they have the Jewish people, Israel, in oppression. And so at the end of the day, when you hear about a new king, a king of the Jews, you're going to be troubled quite a bit. So Herod, at the end of the day, doesn't have the knowledge. He doesn't know the scriptures. He doesn't know anything about the people of Israel, really. He might know some stuff. But he wants to know where this king would be born. And so he asks the right people. He calls, he says, the chief priests, and he asks them, hey, where is this person supposed to be born? Where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? And without hesitation, as we would have normally expected, these are the professional Bible scholars of their day, the, the chief priests and the scribes. They know the Bible inside and out. They would have memorized most of the Old Testament. You ever read the Old Testament? My goodness. Interpretations of it, different, different rabbinical uh, traditions on it. These guys were knowledgeable. They knew all the right answers. They are the, the scholars and Bible teachers of their day. And he brings them in and he says, hey, where is this to happen? And without hesitation, what do they say? In Bethlehem of Judea. They don't, they don't have to think about it, pray about it. They just know that it's there. And in verse 6, Matthew quotes here, Micah chapter 5, or verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 2, when he says, But you, O Bethlehem, this is what it says in Micah, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephraim, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from the old, from the ancients of days. So here at the end of the day, you see a little bit about Bethlehem. It says that who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. So it's not a significant place. It's, it's not overwhelming. But there's a little bit of difference between what Micah says and the quotation from Matthew. I showed you a little bit this last week. Of this, and, and Matthew does the same thing here. He's making a point when he quotes Micah, but he makes a little bit of an interpretation. The significance is by no means. When I read the Micah account, you don't read that by no means. And he's highlighting for us and those that would read at the end of the day the greatness 
that is the true meaning of the passage at the end of the day. What, what Matthew's doing, he's, he's interpreting the passage for himself, emphasizing the significance of the village of Bethlehem now because of the Messiah being born there. He's saying, at the beginning, it was said, man, you aren't even great enough to be named among the, the tribes. But, but now, Matthew is saying, you are by no means least among them. Why? What's the difference? What's the change at the end of the day? It's only that Christ is being born in Bethlehem. They didn't have the greatest reputation. At the end of the day, in addition to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the final words of verse 6 are taken from actually 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 2, where it clearly states that Jesus is to be the son of David, born in the city of David, rule like David over the people. So now, in one verse, the Messiah has come out of an insignificant city of Bethlehem to shepherd the nation of God, the people of God, back to God. Bethlehem didn't have anything significant about them. They didn't have a significant reputation, but it's a place where with what God chose his son to be born. Now you think about their time. I don't know about you. If I got to choose, you think about all of the places and the holy places in the ancient world. Why in the world was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Why in the world would Jesus, would God pick Bethlehem of all places? You think the holy city of Jerusalem, why wouldn't it be there at the end of the day? I don't know. I'm not God. But I think the first answer is because it was prophesied. So, so God knew ahead of time. He planned it for when you were born in Bethlehem. So it was fulfilling prophecy. But I think there's more than that. I mean, Bethlehem's size uh, was pretty insignificant at the time. It was only six miles outside of Jerusalem, a small trade route uh, outside of the holy city in between uh, Jerusalem and Egypt. And at the end of the day, it didn't even gain any preeminence until Herod later built a home there, a fortress. I think this is actually part of the significance, that there was no significance. Bethlehem was not a significant place at the end of the day. But when you read the entirety of the Christmas story, what do you find? You find a God who actually uses insignificant people and insignificant places to work through the kingdom of God. I, I would say when you read the story of God, that's what God does. He's constantly using insignificant people and places to push forward the kingdom of God. And he's using seemingly an unimportant place to make an actual profound impact at the end of the day. And I want you to remember that today, that at the end of the day, as we enter into the city, into the season of Christmas, that God is using in the Christmas story, and he still is using insignificant people and places for the purposes of the kingdom of God every single day. So it gives you hope, hopefully, those of you in this room, and you're like, I'm pretty insignificant. Well, amen to that. Me too. Like, we're all insignificant, but the beauty of who God is is that he uses insignificant people and places to push forward the kingdom of God over and over and over again. Bethlehem isn't anything special, had no great reputation at the end of the day. In fact, at the end of the day, it had little, it was named little, too little among all of the nations of Israel, all of the clans of Israel. And the only thing that made it great in the story of Christmas is the fact that it was connected to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, being born there. That's what changed everything for this little town. And now here, 2,000 later, we still sing about it, speak about it, and know about it only because of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know today, church, whether you're joining us online or in this place, you need to know that your past doesn't define you, good or bad. What you've done in the past, your reputation, does not define you. 
mean, here, if you have a horrible story in the past of, of who you've been and what you've done at the end of the day, that does not define you. And what can change it and make it great is only your connection and relationship to Jesus Christ. Man, I'm here to tell you, if you have a great story in the past, you're one of those people that stands on your self-righteous soapbox and be like, man, I've never done all these heinous, the crazy sins at the end of the day. My reputation's pretty clean and pretty great. That's why God loves me. Can I tell you, that is not why God loves you. The only reason God loves you, the only thing that makes you great is not your clean past. It's because you have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The same of our story today. Your past doesn't define you, whether good or bad, God does. Bethlehem wasn't great, but God was. And their relationship, their connection, connection to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, is the only thing that made it great. And then as you keep reading, the second thing we see about the greatness within the kingdom of God is that greatness isn't based on our identity. It's not based on what we've done. But I'll tell you this, your greatness in the kingdom of God is not based on what you've done. It's also not based on who you are, who you've made yourself to be what you've built yourself to be at the end of the day. So if we look just with verse one, you go back to, to highlight, as we look at these, these wise men at the end of the day, in verse one it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And then in verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen. When it rose and went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So here we see, based on the wise men, I want to show you here in a moment, at the end of the day, it's not just about a reputation that doesn't make us great. It's also about who we are, our identity that doesn't make us great. Really, at the end of the day, we'll get there. Only Jesus does. So the word wise men here, I love looking at this at Christmas time because we have so many things that are maybe not the greatest uh, theological perspective when it comes around Christmas. Wise men here, in, in verse 7, it, it, the Greek word is mojos, and sometimes translated magi. And what English word, we talked about this last year a little bit, what English word does that remind you of, magi? Magic, right? Magic or magicians, and actually has something there. Mogos originally was a title of Persian, a Persian priestly caste who played an important role in advising kings. And they applied, uh, they applied more widely to just learn men, but priests who really interpret or specialize in astrology to interpret dreams, and in some cases, even magical arts. So when you read the text, this actually makes a lot of sense. Magi, really at the end of the day, were found all over the Roman Empire or world, specifically coming from Babylon. This is why most likely it says that they were from the east towards Babylon and they studied the stars, which makes sense that they were paying attention to the star. And when it came, they, they, they saw it, right? And I don't want to mess up our, our little things at home, but at the end of the day, there weren't three kings. At the end of the day, there, we don't even know if there was three of them. So, like, uh, I, I take my, uh, I added a couple more. Maybe there was more. I don't know. In my, in my little, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, set at home, there wasn't necessarily three kings. Why people probably interpret it that way is because at the end of the day, 
the, the gifts that they gave were like king-like expensive gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But at the end of the day, these guys, at the end of the day, that, that we sing songs to portray them as three kings and these holy people. At the end of the day, these were most likely Babylonian astrologers, enchanters, magicians, wizards of sort who studied the stars. And when they saw the star arose, they followed it, right? They weren't worshipers of God. These were pagan astrologers. It's pretty amazing and profound. And so after assembling the chief priests and the scribes to find out where Jesus was going to be born, Herod calls in these wise men because they would oftentimes give wisdom to kings and, and come and help them interpret dreams and many other things. And, and he asked them what time the star appeared. And he f- sends them to actually find the child. And he says, hey, when you found the child, give me word and, and send me word so that I too can come and worship the king of the Jews. But that is the furthest thing from the truth. Did Herod really want to worship the king of the Jews? No, later on in Matthew, it says he wanted to destroy him. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and actually destroy him. You see, the identity, when you talk about it, of, of Herod, you talk about the identity of the Magi, you talk about the identity of the chief priests. The chief priests had the identity of the most religious of their day. But somehow they missed the coming of Jesus. You see, the identity of Herod at the end of the day was that he was king. He was maybe the most powerful man in the world. That's who he was at the end of the day. And then you talk about the identity of the magi, the magicians, the the wise men, if you will. They were pagan astrologers, enchanters, or magicians, whatever, at the end of the day. So if you line up those people, the chief priests and the scribes, the king of the known world, the most powerful maybe man in the world, and some pagan astrologers that worship stars and perform different magical arts or whatever, who are you choosing at the end of the day to come and worship the king of kings and the lord of lords? I'm not, I'm, I'm not calling the pagan uh, star worshiper guys. That, that, that's, that's not who I'm calling at the end of the day. I doubt most of us would. But this is why I love the kingdom of God, amen? That, that this is who God ordains to be there, to rejoice exceedingly with great joy over finding the Messiah while actually bringing most the most amazing and powerful things and, and, and really falling down and worshiping Jesus. You see, at the end of the day, the magi in the story show us that greatness is not based on our identity, who we are or who we've been. Rather, it's based on how we actually respond to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. So these guys had a horrible past. I mean, I don't know what they're into, what kind of pagan worship they're into, but when it came to it at the end of the day, their lives are changed because they responded appropriately to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Later on in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus actually shares about what the greatness is in the kingdom of God. And in chapter 18 and verse 1, this is what he says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In verse 2, and calling him a child, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
That's a profound passage. That unless we, as people, become like little children, humble ourselves to the point of being like little children, he says that we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says that we are called, as individuals, to humble ourselves like children because the child, the humble one, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, over and over again, we see at the end of the day, that greatness does not come from our individual identity. Rather, who you are, but, re- but rather than that, it's whose you are and how you respond to Jesus. That in relationship with Jesus, us following after Jesus in our humble approach to following him is what makes us great in the kingdom of God. See, these magi, their identity was of pagan brokenness. But in the story of Christmas, they're one of the greats. Why? Not because they were powerful in interpreting the stars and that kind of stuff. Because they responded to Jesus appropriately. They came to him. They fell down, as we'll get to now, which brings us to our last point. At the end of the day, greatness is not based on our past, our reputation. It's not based on on who we are, our identity in the kingdom of God, greatness at the end of the day is based solely on a relationship with Jesus. Based solely on a relationship to Jesus. It's highlighted in, in these two individuals, this place, or sorry, this two pl- the place of Bethlehem and the people of the Magi. In verse 6 it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers in Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What an amazing word spoken over the place of Bethlehem. Much different than what Micah spoke some many years earlier. And then in verse 11, Speaking of the Magi, at the end of our passage, it says, And going into the house, when they found Jesus there, where the star rested over him, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, I've already seen, again, I've repeated it a lot. I want to repeat it a lot because I wanted to sink down into your heart and soul at the end of the day greatness is not based on our relationship or our reputation it's not based on our identity rather greatness is based on our relationship with jesus christ and that alone you see this in the place of bethlehem and the people of the magi however many there were see bethlehem wasn't a significant place but seen in the words of micah When he speaks of the town, you're too little to be named among the clans of Judah. But according to Matthew, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. The difference with Bethlehem in Micah's day based on Bethlehem in Jesus' day in Matthew and what is said of it, the only difference that changes and makes it a place where a ruler will be brought to shepherd the people of Israel back to God at the end of the day. The only difference is their relationship, the relationship Bethlehem had to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. That's it. Bethlehem wasn't a beautiful city. It wasn't some unbelievable city. It wasn't some amazing trade uh, place. It wasn't, didn't nothing uh, super significant happen there. At the end of the day, what made it great in the kingdom of God is only the fact that God chose in his perfect sovereignty to have the king of kings and lord of lords born in that town. And its relationship to Jesus makes it great in the kingdom of God. The magi, 
astrologers, magicians, priests of a false religion, whatever they were, who studied the stars. I love this because I don't know about you. I don't know if this is oftentimes my response to Jesus in this season. I think of all the hoopla and all the things we have going on in the Christmas season of, of this and that and parties and significance. Do I even respond to Jesus as the pastor of the church oftentimes or do I so forget so easily as weeks go on and we're doing outreaches and we're doing Christmas parties and we come to church, yes, we sing some songs and then we get to Christmas Eve and we're like, oh snap, the whole season's gone by. Do I even respond the way that these pagan individuals responded to the King of Kings when it says that they came in, they fell down and worshipped him. And their worship wasn't just falling down. Their worship was generosity in giving him gifts that were super expensive, things that would be only found really in, in a very wealthy individual or a king's home in gold and frankincense and myrrh. Luxury gifts showing that they truly responded to the king of kings and the lord of lords. See, the Magi, they weren't great because of their reputation. Their reputation was actually quite bad. If you're really looking next to, like, maybe you and them, you might win out over them. Their reputation wasn't too great. They weren't based on their identity. It wasn't because of who they were. Really, who they were is most people now, they wouldn't even want them in their church, more or less worshiping Jesus. It wasn't their reputation or their identity that made them great at the end of the day, the Magi. What made them great is their relationship to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and how they actually responded to Jesus. Gentile individuals far from God that followed a star. This is what's fascinating to me. God can do whatever God wants to do. Men who are actually probably worshiping a pagan God or trying to interpret the stars in a pagan way, actually God uses that to bring them to the feet of Jesus to be now worshipers of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's how good God is. May we be people that respond the same. Greatness is based on a relationship with Jesus. You see, Jesus actually changed the definition of greatness for us, the king, people who worship Jesus, but also for the world. You know the passage well, but in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Jesus says that we, this is the way we should respond. This is the way we should function. He says, have this mind, the apostle Paul, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours because you're in Christ, and he's empowering you to actually live this way. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it. He didn't give up who he was, but he didn't hold on to it to the point where, like, he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm God. I'm not dying for the world. But he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men. That is humbling within itself that the God of the universe would humble himself to put on human skin, flesh and blood, and walk among us. But even more than that, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. Jesus gives the only example of what greatness is. In the kingdom of God, greatness is about being humble and lowly. Philippians 2 shows us the humility of God, Jesus himself, humbling himself and becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. This is what we see the Magi do. 
This is how we see them respond, humbling themselves lowly, falling on the ground and worshiping God. While those that had all the right reputation and identity did nothing. Chief priests, they had the right resume. King of the known world had a great resume, but didn't respond appropriately. See, what makes Bethlehem, as I said already, the Magi, what makes them great is nothing of themselves. It's solely found in their relationship with Jesus. Because relationship, as I said at the beginning, changes everything. You see, though, other people might have had a better reputation or resume, but at the end of the day, as I said to you in the beginning, what I want you to remember is that in, in Jesus, the greatest can be, the, the, excuse me, the least can become the greatest. The least Bethlehem, the least the Magi, they can become the greatest in the kingdom of God. So my question for you today as we finish is just this. What is your relationship with Jesus? And I make no assumptions in this place. I don't care if you've been a member for 10 years or you just did this morning through an interview or you, you, you've known Jesus all your life. My, my question is, what is your relationship with Jesus right now? What is that like? What does it look like? And if you're here or you're watching online and, and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm just asking you, are you banking on your reputation, what you've done? Or your identity of who you are for your salvation. If you're in this room, are you, you banking on what you've done, the good or bad that you have or haven't done in your past? Or who you are and how you've pulled yourself up by your bootstraps today for your salvation? Are you banking on that at the end of the day? That man, God, I'm, I'm pretty well put together. I've done a lot of good in the past. It outweighs my bad by a lot. Because every other religion in the world shows and preaches and teaches that that is how somehow we get back to God rather than the gospel is that Christ came after us and there's no good or bad we can do to get back to him. He's already done it for us. All we have to do is faithfully respond to Jesus like the Magi did. And in that we find greatness by being connected to the king of the world, Jesus Christ. So what's your relations like? And followers of Jesus, the same. It would be the same question. Are you living a life trusting your own reputation, what you've done or not done? Or your identity, who you are? Or are you just solely resting in the fact that you are in a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And that is the only thing that makes us great in the kingdom of God. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus through the story of Christmas, changed the definition of greatness. And now at the end of the day, in Jesus, the least can become the greatest. And I just want to tell you or somebody here today or someone online that your reputation does not define you in the kingdom of God, good or bad. We might have some Pharisees in the room. You think your good works are impressing God. Man, that doesn't define you. We might have some people with some really, what they think or you think is a messed up past. Well, we all got messed up past. That's the reason why we need good news, because there's bad news. I just want to tell you, that doesn't define you. Only Jesus does. 
And, and at the end of the day, I want to speak to some people in the room. At the end of the day, your identity doesn't define you. And I don't care if you're a CEO of a huge company. I don't care if you mow lawns or you're a garbage man. At the end of the day, who you are does not make up your worth in this world. What you've built, that, that is not your identity. Your identity is solely found in the fact that you are connected to, you are made in the image and likeness of God, and you are connected to him through the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. That is your identity. Because the only way greatness happens is our connection to Jesus. What does that look like for you? And don't let the, the Christmas season come and go being wrapped up in everything else and we forget to respond to Jesus in the appropriate way. No matter where you are here today, man, there's hope for you today through Jesus Christ. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today's that day. Whether you're online or in this place, man, if after today you want to know what that looks like, if you don't know how to pray that prayer or how to respond to God, I'd love to chat with you. We have a prayer team in the other room that would love to chat with you in our prayer room just outside the door here. I think one of the greatest pictures of the greatness in the kingdom of God, I said to you already, Philippians chapter 2 gives us a beautiful picture of what greatness is in the kingdom of God. And Jesus changed what the view of greatness is in one simple act, in what he came to do ultimately at Christmas time was to live a life and then give his life on the cross for us as our substitutionary atonement on the cross. It's the greatest picture of the greatness of God. Today's the first Sunday of the month, and in the first Sunday of the month is the time which with, with which we celebrate communion together, taking the Lord's Supper together to remember what Christ has done. And today my heart is that we would respond by remembering what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite our elder, Preston Zale, to come. He's going to lead us in communion today, and our band's going to come and sing a song while we contemplate. Would you pray with me as they come? God, thank you for today. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. There wouldn't be good news if we didn't have bad news. Jesus, you came after us, Emmanuel, God with us. And because of our response to you, we can be great in the kingdom of God. Not by what we've done in the past or who we think we are or anything else. Only because of our relationship with you, Jesus. So we thank you for the fact that we can have a relationship with you. And God, may we respond appropriately now as Preston comes and leads us in communion. In Jesus' name, amen.